just thank you for this evening. We thank you for each person that's here. And Lord, we do lift up those that are sick and not feeling well, that you will touch their bodies and, and heal them and give them the strength that they need. And we ask you to bless this time as we look at your word. Guide and lead us as we look at your power being manifest in this psalm. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, Psalm 104. My Bible says Jehovah reigns over nature's forces. Yep. Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord my God, you are very great and you are clothed with honor and majesty. Who clothes you with light as with a garment? Who stretches out the heaven like a curtain? Who lays the beams of the chambers in the waters? Who makes the clouds his chariot, who walks upon the wings of the wind, who makes his angels spirits and his ministers a flaming fire, who laid the foundations of the earth, who that it should not be removed for, forever. You cover, cover it with the deep as, as with a garment. Water stood above the mountains. At your rebuke they fled, and the voice of your thunder they hastened away. They go by the mount, up by the mountains, they go down the valleys and to the places that you have founded for them. You have set a bound and they, that they may not pass over, and they turn not again to cover the earth. He sends the springs into the valleys which run among the hills. They give drink every, to every beast of the field. The wild asses quench their thirst. By them shall the fowls of the heaven have their habitation, which sing among the branches. He waters the hills from his chambers. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of your works." He causes the grass to grow for the cattle and the herbs for the service of man that he may bring forth food out of the earth and wine that makes glad the heart of man and oil to make his face to shine and the bread which strengthens man's hearts. The trees of the Lord are full of sap, the cedars of Lebanon, which he plants, where the birds make their nest. As for the storks, the fir trees are, their, are her house. The high hills are a refuge for the wild goats and the rocks for the conies. He appoints the moon... For for seasons the sun knows it's setting down. He makes darkness and it, it is night wherein all the beasts of the forest do creep forth. The young lions roar after their prey and seek their meat from God. The sun arises and gathers themselves together. They and, and lay down in their dens. Man goes forth into the work and is labored into the evening. O Lord, how manifold are your works and wisdom have you made them all. The earth is full of your riches. So is this great and wide sea wherein the things creep innumerable, both small and great beast. They go, there go the ships. There, there is the Leviathan whom you have made to play therein. These wait upon you, and you may get, that you may give them their meat in due season, that, they, that you give them to, that thou givest them they gather. You open your hand and they are filled with good. You hide your face and they are troubled. You take away their breath and they die and they return to their dust. You send forth your, your spirit, they are created. And you renew the face of the earth. The glory of the Lord shall endure forever. The Lord shall rejoice in his works. He looks on the earth and it trembles. He touches the hills and they smoke. I will sing unto the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have my being. My meditation of him shall be sweet. I will be glad in the Lord. Let the sinners be consumed out of the earth and let the wicked be no more. Bless you the Lord, O oh my soul. Bless you the Lord. This is a very powerful psalm. 
we sing this we sing this song that's based on this on this one uh, uh, yeah it's very much you know you, you touch the hills and they smoke you, you in, is one of the songs that we sing on the here so we start bless the Lord O my soul O Lord my God you are very great and you are clothed with honor and majesty the idea of blessing is really very interesting and says to make holy to make sacred now God doesn't need to be made sacred and holy but he's telling us that we need to bless him and in our own minds lift him up to the importance that he is supposed to have because it is easy especially in our day and age where grace is is pushed you know so much it's easy for us to forget that God is holy and sacred we have this idea that you know we, he's our best friend he's our buddy and he really is a friend in that but he's not we're not supposed to get so familiar with him that we forget him and how holy and righteous he is and that he demands holiness and righteousness from us and it says bless the Lord O my soul and we've talked about the meaning of soul on several occasions but soul literally means my innermost being where my emotions are 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 set up not just my brain not just my thoughts but who I am at the core of my being is to bless God and this is something that's important we talk about this when people get saved it says that they know Jesus and that doesn't mean that I just have facts about Jesus many of us can say we know some famous people because we've read information about them but we really don't know anything about them we might say we know things about uh, Barack Obama or 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 Trump or even the governor you know let's get this bring it even closer our governor Doug Ducey or the mayor or the city council members of our of our uh, city or the or the uh, council members of the of the county now for some of the council members there are people in this town that know at least one of them <laughs> because they've actually had experience with the person having lived in this town so they know that person to a degree but how many times do we not really know somebody and we say we know them and God does not want that kind of a relationship with them he wants us to say I know him I know how he reacts I know how he thinks I know how he is going to respond in our family we oftentimes will know members of our family that way we know what they're going to say sometimes we know what they're going to say even before we hear what they say because we know them well enough to say I know how they're going to react to this situation I know what they're going to do when this happens and that's the type of relationship God wants us to have with him I know him because I have a personal relationship I talk with him I've been in his word I know who he is because we know that Jesus is the word if we want to know Jesus we get into the word and we'll get to know Jesus and we'll get to know how God thinks how he behaves and this is what he's saying bless the Lord O my soul my soul my innermost being gets to know God I know that when he, when things go wrong he's gonna love me he's gonna care for me he's gonna reach down and pick me up out of the miry mess <laughs> that I got myself into because he loves me in such a great way and so we bless the Lord oh my soul oh Lord my God you are very great how often do we make God too small 
There's a song I love when I, that, that, that it's sung by one of the singers that I have on my, even on my disc and on the computer, that it says, how small have I made you, God? How have I forgotten that you are so great? How often do we make God smaller than he is in our mind and we forget how big he is? I've done it. I've done it on many occasions where I kind of forget how big God is. And I'm the one that will tell you that as big as I think God is, I know that he's smaller, that he's bigger than what I think he is. And yet there's times in, the, in my daily walk and the way I pray and the way I'm, I look at things that I make God way too small. He has the power to do anything for us. And if we just will pray to him and ask, in his will, of course, and something that's for his good. But the amazing thing is that he cares. How many times as, a, we're, as, as parents did we have our kids come to us? Our kids probably said the same thing. Well, this is really not that big a deal. And they came to us anyway, and it's something that we could bless them. And we're probably thinking, well, boy, this is such an easy thing, and you're asking me for it. Oh, good. Here, you know, here's your blessing because this one's an easy, easy one. You know, and not all of our kids' requests would be easy, but remember, for God... Everything for God is easy. It may be earth-shattering to us. It could be life-ending for us. But for God, it's simple because he holds the whole universe in his hands. So we've got to keep this in mind. Nothing in my life is something that God is going to find so insignificant that he does not want the, the honor of being able to help us. Uh-huh. He's got the whole world in his hand. But God is great. And it says, you are clothed with honor and majesty. Honor, splendor, majesty, ornate, glory. Is, you know, this is kind of, honor and majesty pretty much go hand in hand. But this honor, he is covered with splendor. And the majesty, he's uplifted, he has glory, he has, he has position, he has, uh, you know, we think of the, the king sitting in their, their throne with great honor and majesty, they're, they're above everything. And David here, or whoever the author of this statement is, is talking about God being raised up. We always need to keep in mind how great he is and how much splendor and majesty and honor he deserves. Because when we start forgetting that, then we make him small. When we forget that he deserves all of that, we start making him small. And that's the place we want to be very careful of. God is greater than anything. And there's an old saying that gets, gets taught, you know, in churches, God is good, and all the time God is, all the time, and then all the time God is good. You know, it's, we got to keep in remembrance, God always is good. And he's always doing things for our good. Even when it seems like it's not, God is good. Even when we're trying to figure out how anything can be good out of what's going on, God is good. Okay, and we need to keep that in mind all, always. 
If we can keep that fully in, in cognizant in our mind, we'll be better off because whenever something happens to us, it goes, okay, God, I don't understand it, but you are good. And that's something we've got to keep in mind. Uh, if you remember, we showed the movie uh, God's Not Dead, and the pastor, the, especially the one pastor who was trying to be taught some lessons, he kept grumbling and griping that God was keeping him from going on his vacation by keeping his car from running. <laughs> you know, and this went on for what, uh, I think it was two days in the, you know, of movie time. And then he had the opportunity to lead the atheist to Christ just before he died. You know, so what was the purpose of him not going to his vacation on time? Was so that he'd be the one at the right place at the right time to reach somebody. This is the way God works in our life all the time. He works in a way that makes no sense when we're going through it. And yet, later on, oftentimes we'll see this is what he did. And if we don't see it now in this world, we'll see it in eternity when he shows us why he did some things that he did. But God is always good. He always has a plan. Verse 2 says, Who covers with light as a garment? Who stretches out the heavens like a curtain? God covers. And it says, who covers with light as a garment. This is kind of an interesting thing. Light in the Hebrew scriptures has such a massive amount of definition. If you read the Psalms, sometimes you think they're worshiping the light and everything. But light has this implication of doctrine and covering and opening up. And God covers with his truth. He clothes with his righteousness. He says, who covers with light? If you have a King James Bible, it says, who covers thyself? And it's in italics, which means that word is added. It doesn't belong there. And this one is one of those cases where if you take the word out, you get the real meaning of the story. Because it's not who covers himself, but who covers with light. God covers us with truth and doctrine. He's covering his creation with this light. And this whole context of this psalm is creation. His creation and his power and his majesty in creation. And he stretches out the heavens you know, as a curtain. If you've ever drawn a curtain, you know what that's like. It starts out real small and you just drag it out. He drug out all of the creation of this world and spread it out. This is such a wonderful thought. He spoke it into existence. He drags it out and says, this is it. It's created. The power of our God. He speaks. Verse 3 says, Who laid the beams of the chambers of the water? Who makes the clouds his chariot? Who walks on the wings of the wind? The beams of, it, of, the, of his chambers literally refer to the roof of the, the building. And he says, who, who laid the roof of, in the waters? <laughs> the waters have a bound. And it's going to be covered many times as we go through this, as we look at the deluge of, of Noah being pictured in this, in this verse. He says, you put a covering on the waters. The waters have only so far that they can go. And it says, and who makes the clouds his chariot? How big is God? This whole world is nothing to him. It's like a vehicle. And it says, who walks on the wings of the wind? The winds don't bother God. This is where you get a picture of Jesus in the boat when he's sleeping in the middle of the storms and the disciples come and wake him up. Master, don't you care that we're, that we're going to perish? And he gets up and he rebukes them, oh, you of little faith. 
One of the things I always think about when I read that, read that and listen to that, many of the disciples that he had were fishermen. These guys knew that the boat was in trouble. This was not some novice people in the boat that were getting a little bit of water. And these were fishermen who knew that the boat was in trouble in this storm. Now, Jesus had said, we're going to the other side. So that's what everybody will bring out. You know, Jesus said they were going there and they should have had faith that they were going to. But he gets up, he rebukes the storm and calms the storm and then rebukes them for having a little bit of faith. But the thing I always want to point out is they may have had a little faith, but when they looked at it, it was a real situation that they were in danger of drowning. Peter, John, and Nathaniel, and all these guys were fishermen. They knew that their boat was in trouble because they were fishermen. They'd probably seen many times when their boats were ready to go under because of the times on the, on the water. God says, I look at all of this stuff and it's nothing to me. And Jesus looked at it around and said, it's nothing to me. You know, be quiet. <laughs> rebukes the wind, rebukes the storm, and it quiets down. Here it says, he's above it all. Isn't it good that we have a God who's above all the problems that can come into our life? When he comes down and he just settles the storm in our life, it's like, it was nothing. Here you go. And we need to be able to pray to him and ask him and just rest in him. Now, I understand it's not easy sometimes just to rest in him when everything seems to be going wrong. But just as in the story, God's made some promises to us. All things work together for good, that he cares for us, cast all our cares upon him. If we've done that, then we know we're safe. It has been said, and I agree with the statement, the safest place to be is in the center of God's plan for your life. Because I can tell you one thing for absolute sure. If God has something for you to do, you're going to make it through whatever it is that you're going through. If he's ready for you to come home and you've done everything he has done for you, planned for your life, you're going home no matter how safe you make your environment. You will go home when he's ready to take you home and you will stay as long as he wants you here. Well, Paul did say he, it was better for, far better for him to go, but while he had something to do, he was glad to be here. And that's how I feel. it. When I'm done, I'm ready to go home. I don't want to be on this earth when I'm done doing whatever God wants me to do. But while he's going to let me teach and minister to people and, and help them get, grow in, in Christ, I want to be here for as long as possible to help others grow. And when God is done letting me do that, take me home, God. I'm, I'm ready to go home. I don't want to just sit around and not be able to teach because this is my calling. My calling is to teach and I love doing it. And as long as there's something for me to teach and somebody for me to teach and somebody who wants to listen to me teach, I want to be here. As soon as that's done, I want to go home. I don't want to hang around after that because I'll be ready to go. Believe me, when I see numbers like our number this last month of over 4,000, it humbles me that there's that many people wanting to listen to anything that I say. All I can tell you is, number one, I don't know how we're being found in these foreign countries. We're optimized. If you put in Chloride or Mojave County, you find this church. To a degree, even in for Kingman, if you type in Kingman, we're within the top 20. 
But why would anybody in China be typing in anything to do with Mojave County or chloride? I don't know. Well, no, I'm just talking about these bulletins. You pass out the bulletins that have all the information for the church to everybody who shops. So she's getting a lot of foreign uh, people to information about us. So it's amazing to me, you know, especially when you think about our little town, number one, and then our little church, you know, with, with our, our wonderful 24 people in it on a Sunday morning is reaching out over a thousand people per week with the sermons. That is a humbling thing and it's an exciting thing. All right, let's see, where did I leave off? Verse four, who makes his angels spirits, his ministers a flaming fire. God made the angels as spiritual beings. Okay, and that's what it says here. What that means completely, I don't know com completely. I don't know if the angels had some pre-existing you know, lives before God created this world or what, but he made the angels part of the spiritual world. And at one point in time, the one thing we know about angels is that at some point in their, their time, they could make choices of serving God or not serving him. Otherwise, Satan would not have been able to rebel. So they had a free will at one point, and now that they've passed whatever it is, they're done. This is the same thing that will be for us. Once we leave this world and we get our glorified body, we've made our choices for God or against him at that point. We'll get our glorified bodies as Christians and be perfect in serving God for all of eternity. And the ones who have rejected God will have rejected him for eternity with no chance of coming and saying, oh God, I really, I really want to follow you now that I see you. We've made our decision based on faith and he'll say we're perfect for eternity at that point. And so this is, and it says his ministers, again, angels, maybe a higher level of angels, maybe just the poetic side of this, a flaming or a blazing flame, a blazing fire. And one thing we look at, and we see this in this section here, we're looking at Hebrew poetry at this point. They say something, they repeat it. Okay? Bless the Lord, O my soul. You are great. You are clothed with honor. You cover yourself with light and you stretch out the, the heavens. You lay the beams of the water. You make the clouds to be your chariot, which is also happens to be water. <laughs> okay? We're seeing a parallel. He says one thing and then he repeats it. And he does this all through this psalm. Sometimes it takes two verses to do it. Many times it's within the same verse that he does this repetition. Verse 5, Who laid the foundation of the earth that it should not be removed forever? This is interesting because God has something that he has put the earth as a strong foundation. And this removed literally means it shall not be shaken or moved. Our earth stays in its rotation and its orbit. It rotates and it works in its orbit. And it stays that way. Now, science will tell us that it is slowing down, and it is. It's slowing down very, very small, and it's, but, and our, our, and our axis is starting to wobble a little bit. We are getting to the end of the spin of the earth. It's almost as if, if you've ever taken a spinning top and you spin it, it's almost like God spun the earth. And as it slows down, if you think of a top, it starts to wiggle and wobble. And our Earth's axis is doing that. You know, it, it used to do it at, a, at about a 100-year gap, and it's been sh getting shorter and shorter, and it's down to about a 10-year place where we have usually a big earthquake a a 
comes at the same time as it starts to wobble and we see major earthquakes and major shifts in, in our earth at various small, small occasions. Now it's not wobbling where it goes way off to the other side, but it has a, it's starting to show the effects of slowing down, which gets us to the point where we're almost at Revelation, where God's going to end it all and say, okay, we're going to destroy everything and start all, all brand new. God has done all of this. He laid the foundations. He kept it firm and keeps it firm. God holds the very atoms together. It says in the New Testament that everything is held together by Christ and without him nothing is held together. Our very atoms are held together by God because they cannot be held together by natural rules. Okay, this is the amazing thing. I, I look at atoms and I've even asked teachers, how do they stay together? Like charges do what? They repel. The middle of an atom is a bunch of protons stuck together. They should be blowing apart. It's circled by electrons. Opposite charges attract each other. The electrons should be crashing into the protons. The very atom makes no sense in it being held together by scientific rules. Except the Bible tells us that Jesus holds together all of creation. Literally all of creation. And when he goes to destroy this world by fire, I, I have this feeling that all he's going to do is let go of the cohesion of the atoms for a moment and everything dissipates and is gone. And a very brilliant, fiery ball as every atom in the world disintegrates because he drops, his, he drops the holding of it. And then he creates everything brand new. The power of God holding everything together it's amazing when you look down, no matter how microscopic you get in what you look at, you see God's hand at work. Then you look at the greatness of our universe <laughs> and you see his grandeur and his, and his holding together of everything as you look out. Everywhere we look, we see God. Every part, down to the smallest molecule, we see God holding things together. And we see something further down, something further down. And if we can get all the way to the bottom, we're going to see God. <laughs> because that's who's holding it all together. If we can't get there, we're not going to see the spiritual. But if we saw all the way, and no matter how grand you look at things, we look at the scope of the universe, and we see the grandeur of God. You know, it's amazing to think, I, don't, I, I love astronomy, and I've looked at the different pictures they've taken of all the different moons and the, the beauty of some of the moons on the, on the planets around our, our solar system is just phenomenal. And we think that God put it out there. And then, then we wonder, why did he put it out there? So that we could discover it at the end of, our, end of time, and we're starting to see all this beauty that he's created out in the world. The galaxies that he's put out there that we're just now discovering. And God put them out there so that man could discover them. Maybe on the new creation, he's going to put them out there and we can play on them, you know, we, you know because we'll have our spiritual bodies and go wherever we want. Maybe, maybe a trip to Andromeda will be just a split second and we'd be able to find out what he's put out there. But there's great beauty that God has put out there for us to enjoy looking at. And he put it out there at the very beginning before man could even see or find it. And he put it all out there so that when we did discover it, we'd see the beauty of him and his greatness. It's an amazing thing. God laid the foundation of this world 
and made such great things from it. Verse 6, we're going to start looking at a picture of God's power even greater. He starts going into the, to the deluge, which is a fancy word for the flood of Noah. Verse 6, you covered it with the deep as with a garment. The water stood above the hills. At your rebuke they fled. At the voice of your thunder they hastened away. They go by the mountains, they go down by the river, the valleys, into the place which you have founded for them. You have set a bound that they may not pass over, that they may not turn again to cover the earth. Here's a very poetic picture of the flood. The waters came and they covered the mountains. A repeat of Genesis where it says the mountains were covered by 15 cubits of water. So he says, you sent the water, it covered everything. The Alps, I don't believe, existed back then. Okay. The world, we covered this a while back when we talked about the flood. It is very possible that the world was relatively flat during that period of time before the tectonic plates were shifted and broken because God broke the earth and the foundation of, of the waters to force the waters down and then that forced the mountains up. So because tectonics have taken place and we know tectonics work and the plates are working and rubbed up against each other and pushed mountains high. So the, the Alps, Mount Everest, Kilimanjaro, all these mountains probably did not exist before the flood. This is why I tell people, they go, well, where, where is the Garden of Eden? Destroyed. Who knows where it was and who knows where it, where it might be? It's gone because the world was drastically changed when it was put under the underwater and plate tectonics because it says he broke up the fountains of the deep he broke up the earth the plates were started to move they crashed into each other at some point made, making great mountains which then created both the crevices on the Atlantic and the Pacific I don't remember what the Atlantic I think it's just the Atlantic crevice where you have the Marianas Trench where it goes miles down and there's a lot of water and if those things were pushed back up most of the earth would be covered if not all the water, all the earth would be covered if both of those deep trenches were pushed back up and a mile's worth of, you know, mile deep water was pushed back up into this, into our water uh, table, most of the world would be underwater just by that one move. The whole face of the earth is totally changed from when God first created it. This is true. We don't know how big the Garden of Eden was. We don't know anything about it. So it is one of those things where a lot of people want to put it in the Fertile Crescent because it has the Tigers and the Euphrates, which are rivers named in Genesis. But my statement has always been when they first got out of the ark and they started traveling, they saw a river and they go, this river reminds me of the Euphrates. Okay. Why in New York is there a, a river called Thames? Because reminded them of the London River in Thames and that just gave them an answer of we're just going to call this the Thames. Words and things are called by what people remember and it reminds them of something. So we have all these rivers that are named the same thing just like when they came to the United States they came, they came up with New Amsterdam, New, New York, you know all, everything was new. When I hear the word Portland most people think of Portland, Oregon. I think of Portland, Maine. But there's also like five other, there's also like five other Portlands in the United States. And, but we see this all over the time, how the names of these places have been reused over and over and over again. And that, I think, is what happened when they got off the ark. They just named things the way that they were used to, 
This, you know, here's a big river. It kind of looks like the old Euphrates. We're going to call it Euphrates. City in California. Yeah, there's a couple of chlorides around. That's why I find it hard to find that people find Chloride Baptist Church on the internet. With God has a plan for everything. He's laid it. He says, "I've covered everything as with a garment." He covered this world with water as a garment, and he covered it every mountain top. And we got to remember that when he says that every mountain top was covered, every mountain top was filled covered. And again, we know how it can happen if we look at different things and we take under the consideration that there may not be an Everest at that time. But again, if we just push the Marianas Trench and the Atlantic Trench up, we cover everything. Totally changed in texture, complexion. Everything would have been different. Just think about what it would have looked like having been flooded and all the mud that's over everything. Uh, places where the mud has been stripped because the water ran, ran so completely. I remember the first time I saw the Grand Canyon. It reminded me of a sea front that I had seen in Maine where the water had cut through the sand. Now, granted, it was at a much bigger scale, but I looked at it and I'm going, here's, a, here's water erosion at a very grand scale. And it reminded me of, of the beaches up in, up in Maine where the, water, the high tide would come in, all the sand would be smooth, and as it ran back out, it would cut these deep gouges in the sand as it ran back out after high tide. And I'm looking around and I'm going, the Grand Canyon, Canyon reminded me of that kind of, and it is very true that it's what it is. The sand and everything from the Grand Canyon is, all, is found down in the San Diego area, where it was washed out. The geologists know that the, sand, the rock and everything came from here, and they can't figure out how a small river like the, the Colorado River pushed that much stuff out. So it, but when we think about the, the flood, and it says, at your rebuke, they fled. At your voice, they hastened. <laughs> How fast the water would have moved when, when it's, God started saying it's time to go back. And how much dirt and rock it moved. If you've ever seen a, a raging river and you see how fast it can move huge rocks, take houses out of the way sometimes. If you, a couple of years ago, we had that flood being shown in the, in the Phoenix area and, and the TV and the, and the news were showing all these pictures of water rushing over its banks and literally sweeping houses away that had stood there for years. And, and we're not just talking trailers, we're talking some houses were moved off their foundation and swept down, down the rushing water. Water has great power. When, it, when it's moving. And God said, at his rebuke, it moved quickly. And it was time for it to go. And it says, they went down by the mountains and they go down by the valley to the place where God has founded for them. Really a very powerful picture. God has created streams. He, keeps, he tells the rivers where to flow. He keeps them in their banks. He allows them to overflow. But then I love verse 9. You have set a bound and they pass not over, in it, over it. And they turn not again to cover the earth. That was his promise. That he would never send rain to destroy all the earth again with a flood. And it hasn't. The oceans can go only so far inland before they're pushed until God says it's time to come back in. Even if you get a tidal wave, it only goes so far inland before it returns back to the ocean where it belongs. God has set a boundary for it. 
Even on the rivers, when they overflow, there's a boundary that they get before, before God takes away their power. How did he show his power greatly? To the Israelites, when they left Egypt, and he, and he made the sea and the Red Sea stand up. And he created a way for them to walk on land through the, through the Red Sea and then drowned the Egyptians. When the children of Israel entered into the Promised Land, God stopped the Jordan River during flood stage and let them walk over on dry land. You know, a lot of people don't remember that. Or don't Most people don't remember that. That God stopped the Red, sea, uh, the Red Sea and the Jordan for the children of Israel. They started their trip by going across the water on dry land, and they ended their trip by crossing water on dry land. But didn't Elijah and Elijah do the same thing? I was ready to just say the same thing. <laughs> the other time when the river Jordan was stopped was Elijah and Elisha walked across it, and Elijah, Elijah struck the water with his cloak, stopped running. They walked over on dry land. Elisha, after he picked up the cloak from Elijah, hit the line and said, where is, where is the God of Elijah River with the cloak? And it stopped running. And he walked back over after Elijah was translated into heaven. One of my questions has always been is, um, here's all, all those, I mean, if you've seen something like that today, you would the stuff we have today. How come those things don't occur as much these days as they did? Well, for one thing, they never occurred all that often in the first place. This is something that I really emphasize, and you may not have heard me say this, but we read something like the book of Acts. Acts covers 30-some years of the foundation of the church. We read it and we go, wow, they had really exciting lives. Okay, and it picks like three things that Paul did in some town. We read his is epistles and we find out those three things which it sounds like boy he really had an exciting time when he was in that town and then we find out he was in the town for three years and we have three exciting stories from his life we look at Abraham age 70 when he starts his starts his trip and he's gonna live to be 120 and we have like eight events out of his entire life and we look at it and go Abraham really had an exciting life no he had a pretty boring life overall now, he was a nomadic shepherd wandering around all over the place, probably living a very boring, normal life. We look at this, and I think it's a good point for us to remember. Most of our lives are very normal, ordinary, day-to-day, -day, watching God do little, little things in our life, which are big, big enough in, a, in and of themselves. But all of us, if we really think about it, have had some places where God has stepped into our life and done something somewhat miraculous, I believe if we just notice it and go, wow, this is really interesting. I have been places where I know that God has multiplied the food in a, in a party because there wasn't enough food to handle all the people that he did that were fed. Many places in the scripture where he did just that miracle. I have prayed and seen God heal people. Every time I pray, no. Often though, I've seen him pray and I prayed and he's healed people. There's miracles if we look for the miracles that are above and beyond has anybody crossed a river or anything in recent days? I don't know, but I know that it has happened in the past. How many times, if you've read the Western travels across the United States and they would come against a flooded stream and, and things would be calmed down just enough for them to cross over, maybe not on dry land, but enough for them 
to cross a river that they should not have been able to cross and then they go back and look at it the next day and it's back to full flood. Missionary story after missionary story will tell you the same thing of the miracles that God has performed. One particular one I remember, this man said that he had to get from one town to another and he had to cross this jungle that was treacherous. And he says, I've got to do it. And they go, you need to wait till you have, have somebody that can go with you. He goes, no, I have to be at this place tomorrow. And he went through the jungle with no trouble. About a week later, one of the bandits came to him and go, where did you get that big army of yours that was guarding you? And he goes, what army? I goes, by myself. He goes, oh no, you had a huge army and every one of them had gun belts and think, yes, exactly. Open my servant's eyes and let him see that those that are with us are more than that are against us. That type of story. Another story where a missionary drove up this mountain to get to a village and it was a foggy day where they couldn't see anything and when they got there they go how did you get here they can't they go we drove up the road and they go you can't drive up the road well I came up the road they go there's a gorge that was formed in that road a week ago you can't drive up the road and sure enough when they went back down the road they found a gorge that they could not have driven across God does miracles why did we not see miracles in our day probably because we don't expect them there's little miracles that we, don't, that we don't look at. There's also the fact that in our scientific day, we tend to discount miracles and we don't expect any miracles. And this is something we as Christians need to start rethinking in our life. God wants to do miracles. He wants to do the things for us. What did Jesus say? He could not do miracles in Nazareth. A prophet is without, is without honor in his hometown. We need to be very careful that we don't limit God's power. We want to find a reason for everything that happens. And this is why we need to be very careful that we don't get so worked up with how to get things happen. One of the things that I think about miracles, from God's point of view, they're not a miracle. He just says, I know how to make these things happen. From our point of view, they're a miracle. We want to be very careful that we don't get so wrapped up in there's got to be a reason for everything. God will move. If you don't believe that he can heal, then you might as well not pray for healing because it's not going to happen. If you don't believe that he can reach out and, and repair something for you, don't pray and ask for him. Because your lack of faith will make sure that it doesn't happen. It's an amazing thing that what God will do and how he blesses and how he honors requests made in faith. It is amazing what the miracles that God does for us. Again, I've prayed for many of my kids to be healed. Sometimes we had to go to the doctors, but oftentimes God would be miraculously heal them. Mm -hmm. It is amazing the things that God will do for us if we start looking for what he's doing. If we want to be so rationalizing everything, we'll find maybe some bizarre rationalization to make it not a miracle. But you know what? If that's how we want to look at it, we're going to stop seeing miracles. And God's going to say, fine, you don't want to give me the praise that I do deserve for what I've done for you? Then I'm not going to do it. We see this over and over. Those who are not wanting to find God are going to look for reasons for it not to be real. And those who are having faith in God and that God is all-powerful are looking for God to work. Mm -hmm. 
We are the limiting agent on what God will do. There are many in this day and age and many churches that say that God stopped doing miracles 2,000 years ago. I am not one of those people. I believe the only one who's stopping the miracles from happening is us. We have stopped looking for miracles. We have stopped expecting God to do miracles. We have expected God to somehow stop being God. And because we have stopped expecting them, he doesn't do them. But if we started really getting powerful and saying, God, we want to see you work. I want to see you change lives. I'm watching God change lives all the time, and that's a miracle. That he comes into people's lives and changes who they are is a miracle. But it's a miracle that we tend to forget about. And I'm watching in four years of ministering in this church, I'm watching lives that have changed tremendously in four years, and I know it's God. It's God coming into their life. It's God being applying the word to them and changing them. I have seen healings and physical healings. I've seen spiritual healings. I've seen God do great and mighty things. And I want to see him do more. There must be the guinea pig that he wants to heal. Because <laughs> then I always tell everybody, and that's how I can tell them that I believe in miracles. But look at me. This is what he did. And they go look at me. I said, yes, I didn't go to a doctor. I didn't do this. I didn't do that. I said, no, I believe in miracles. I believe in God. But that is a very important thing because God is looking to do the miraculous. And we are, the, we are really the limiting factor of whether he's going to do it or not. Jesus could not do, it says he, he could not do miracles in Nazareth. Now technically he's God, he could have done a miracle anyway, but their lack of belief was not going to be overwhelmed by, he was not going to overwhelm their lack of belief by doing the miracles. We as church members need to start expecting God to do great things. Well, sometimes the natural is how he performs the miracle, but we, and I have the same problem at times, we're a very small church in a very small town. I sometimes wonder how big God would let this church go if we really started thinking about that he could make it big. And, I, and I've been praying, God, help me have the faith that you're going to do whatever it is you want to do in this church. Now, part of it may be that we have this internet ministry. I don't know. I'd like to have some physical bodies as well. I'd like to have some physical bodies as well. But we are becoming a very large church in one sense, especially if this number maintains itself. But even without this number, we've been at, right at 2,000, and that's a big that's a outreach for our church, for any church. But how big can God make our church? We don't know. He can make it as big as he wants it to be. And we need to be able to pray and say, God, how much of an outreach do you want us to do and what do you want us to do? I don't know what God's got in store for this church at this point in time. I've been praying a lot about, God, where are we going? How far are we going? What are we going to do? I want to see us reach some other place in the world physically, not just through the Internet. I'd like to see us reach out and touch some other, some other part of the world. How we can do that? Who knows? We've got lots of people to reach here. But there is an aspect of when a church reaches out beyond its local environment, things happen locally as well. Mm -hmm. And it's pretty amazing. It's, it's happened over and over and over in churches where they go, 
we're going to just reach out. And it may be just as simple as sending gifts to another town and another, another country and just ministering to their needs because we as Americans, even if we're poor, have more money than most of the rest of the world. And sometimes we can just by sending simple stuff, you know, clothing, clothes, boxes, the, the, yeah, the, the Samaritan first boxes that we send out. But I'd like to do something more specifically for some part of the world where we find out what are your needs and help meet those needs as a church to them directly and find out how we're going to do that. And I'm not sure how that's going to work yet, but I'm, I've been praying about it and asking God how we can do, how we can get in touch with somebody and be able to send some people over there and just see what their needs are and, and get that idea of what's going on. Very personal. Because one thing, like you see, when we watch these Lottie Moon videos, these people are saying the same thing. I didn't really know what it was going to be like until I got there. And then I found out it was nothing like what I thought it was going to be in the first place. Okay, and that's the theme every time. And if you've, if you've ever talked to missionaries, that is the theme that goes out. I really didn't know what I was expecting, you know, what to expect, but it wasn't anything what I thought it was going to be. And, and they watched God do miraculous things through them. We, as his followers, need to understand two things. God has got miraculous things for us to do as we reach out, as Loretta said, even in our own area. People need to be touched. They need to be touched in whatever way it means to be touched. And God's got a plan for reaching out to them. And we just need to step forward and say, I'm going to share God's love with people. Sometimes that's all it takes is sharing love. Taking the unloved and loving them. And we've got a lot of people in chloride that are unloved. We have a lot of people in chloride that are unloved, that need to just be loved and reached. But this is where we're at. Are we going to reach out to people? Are we going to step out of our comfort zone and reach out? We're going to be looking at doing some door knocking here and it's kind of when it starts warming up, but I'm also going to run an evangelism class before we do door knocking so that we have some things to be able to tell them when we get there. But we're going to, I want to start knocking on our doors and inviting people, not even so much to our church, but telling them about God. Because my goal is not necessarily to build this church here to its largest possible capacity. My goal is to raise the kingdom of God. And by raising his kingdom, he'll take care of this church. Because that's always the way it is. If I focus on this church, nothing is going to happen in the long run because it's not building his kingdom. Our job is to build his kingdom. If they want to drive all, if we get them saved and they want to drive all the way to Dolan or, or Henderson or Kingman, it doesn't matter to me where they're going to go to church. No, we come from Kingman. <laughs> yeah, we got a number of people come from Kingman, so... You know, God could make this a very big church just by drawing people to us if that's his desire. But we don't know how God's going to reach, and I just love watching him work and reach. So let's go ahead and close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. Lord, we do thank you that you are the mighty God. You are in control of all things. We ask you to help us look for miracles in our life and help us to learn to expect miracles in our life. Help us to reach out to others and to minister to them. And we just thank you in your son's precious name. Amen.